0: standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard that's better h e l p dot slash standard
1: what does colgate mean by live life to the brightest could it be a rich glass of bread sipped inside a parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall mysterious I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers.
2: Standard Issue.
0: For all women. Hello and welcome to episode 291 of the Standard Issue Podsy. I'm Mickey Noonan and Vinted. Vinted's funny, isn't it? It's funny.
1: That it is.
0: Yeah. I put some stuff up for sale because that's what you do on it. You buy and sell stuff. And I put it up for a certain price, and someone got in touch with me and offered me half of the asking price. And I said, no, thank you. And then someone got in touch, a different person got in touch and offered me the asking price. And I said, Yes, please, you can have this jumper. And then the initial person got back in touch to be like, is this sold? And I said, oh, yeah, it's been sold. And they said, why have you sold it? You knew I was interested.
1: Did you reply, maybe don't treat this like a car boot sale? Will you take 10p
0: for it? They have some buttons and ribbons. Please, will no. you accept them in exchange Not the for The best, best way to register your
3: interest, is it? Like, make a preposterously low <laughs> offer? <laughs>
0: Yeah, she needs to show more interest. Uh, yeah, asking price interest, always great, always great.
1: I find I see a lot of people saying, oh, it's terrible because people completely knock down the asking price. But every time I look and see something I want to buy, the person's basically charging what it cost in the shop. And then I have to pay for postage and I can't return it. I just buy it in a shop. Some people are fully deranged about what their what their clothes are worth.
0: I guess on that score, it depends on what the item is, whether it's like an item that's been discontinued or was just a limited edition. Then people will absolutely make a book on it. And fair play. We live in a capitalist economy. But yeah, like say Lucy and Yak Dungarees, which are now a favourite of yours. They're always going to go for almost as much as you pay for them new. Why? I don't know just uh, it's a vintage rule of life a depot rule of life an ebay rule of life all the second-hand places
1: i sold a pair of lucy and yak in two and a half minutes on vintage <laughs> incredible see now that person who bought them
0: showed the mm. right amount of interest that's how it exactly works.
1: here's something equally as important more app-based drama i'm hannah levy <laughs> and my walking app isn't picking up all of my steps the horror
0: that is frustrating, but at least it's mm. underestimating rather than overestimating.
1: Mickey and I went for a walk yesterday. Mickey, how far did you walk? I walked
0: 11,000 steps, which equated to, on my phone, 7.1
3: kilometres.
1: Whereas I walked 11,000 steps, which equated on my phone to 3.1 miles.
3: See, on my phone, that would be over 10 kilometres. Wow. Let's all just get Jen's phone, (laughs) because it sounds like we're doing loads. Also, I've got a Samsung watch, which I got free when I got a Samsung phone like four years ago or something like that. I would never pay like £500 for this piece of shit. (laughs) And sometimes after I get off the train from Harwich to London, it's like, you've done 5,000 steps. I'm like, wicked. I've been
1: nowhere. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, I went in a lift. (laughs) Um, in the hotel I was in in Porto that was one of those old lifts that moved so slowly that it registered that I was actually walking upstairs (laughs) while I was in a lift up a ladder yeah (laughs) the difference in that between what three miles and however a mile
0: it missed a mile yeah anyway I know you walked it Hannah and you know
1: you walked it how many
0: steps did my dog do
1: oh my god she did a lot of steps. I put her ear in my mouth
0: mm-hmm. she
1: and watched it. her treat some manure like it was the yummiest treat she'd ever been there.
0: She ate some horse poo and Hannah very kindly gave her some beef, which obviously she doesn't get that kind of treat in our house because we're veggies. I can't tell you which of them she appreciated more. They were equal status <laughs> in her mind.
3: Yeah. Well, I'm Jen Offord and I went to see something amazing at the theatre last week. Which I've already talked about on this podcast. When last week's Sunday Chops went out, which is about Broken Water, and I spoke to the writer Michelle Winstanley and the director, Nikki Samer. When it went out, I hadn't actually seen it. But I went last week to the press night, and it was fucking incredible. It was so good. Afterwards, I felt a bit shell-shocked. And also, it was press night. It was, like, full of famous actors. It was nuts. There were loads of people there. I was just like, oh my God, it's Mackenzie Crook. Oh, look, it's Helen Lederer. Oh, Oh, look, it's that guy that's in absolutely everything but his name, I don't know. And it was amazing. It was an amazing, amazing play. Well done to them. And listen to The Chops, if you haven't. Great. I love when theatre does that, when it blows you away.
0: Coming up, I chat to comedian Jess foster Q about Buses, Bulkin, her new show Metal and Jeff Capes. That's right, (laughs) finally, some Jeff Capes chat on the podcast.
1: and if someone came up to you and asked you where you were going would you just tell them i don't know i talked to journalist and podcast host katherine carr about oh i've put katherine twice there and podcast host Catherine, Catherine carr <laughs> real name katherine carr about how many people very much do want to tell her on her podcast where are you going in jenny off the blocks what next for the women's tour and what Generation X stereotype are you? <laughs> Find out by taking our quiz, I mean, listening to Rated or Dated, as we watch 1994's Reality Bites.
3: But first, Swifties, Shetlands and stars, you're working forever. It's time for the Bush Telegraph, <laughs> Q Sting.
1: Don't know why I laughed at that. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: laugh that turned into <laughs> sobbing?
1: <laughs>
0: Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we're crossing our fingers that the end of political stasis in Northern Ireland means the promised abortion care might actually happen. Crossing our fingers, not holding our breath. More news if it
3: happens. Well, I mean, for a start, it's quite good that they've got, you know, some politicians again, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, two years on and they're back.
0: Stormont is back.
3: Yeah. Many of you will have heard by now of the brutal chemical attack on a 31-year-old woman and her daughters aged eight and three in Clapham, South West London last week. Sorry, just to get us off to a really cheery start. No. But there's no way to kind of intro that. There's no segue, really. No, no. The woman and her children remain in hospital where she is thought to have sustained life-changing injuries, Thankfully, her children's injuries are not as serious as initially suspected. Like the smallest of silver linings in this, right? Yeah, yeah, quite. At the time of recording, Abdul Azidi, an Afghanistan-born man based in Newcastle, was wanted by police in connection with the attack and is the subject of a national manhunt with a £20,000 reward being offered for his capture. Azidi was, it seems, previously known to his victim. What a surprise. Hmm. It has also since come to light that Azidi was granted asylum in the UK despite a previous conviction for sex offences committed in the UK and while being listed on the Sex Offender Register. Now, of course, the circumstances around this particular case have provided a great opportunity for certain people. I'm talking about Brie Patella, Soella Braverman, just just FYI. <laughs> certain people. <laughs> and a few others, I should imagine, yeah, uh, to start blowing the illegal immigrants' dog whistle. But I think it's just worth mentioning that statistics do not support the notion that the majority of acid attacks are carried out by South Asian men as honour crimes. Although these types of attacks are rare... There was a 69% increase in acid attacks in England and Wales in 2022. That's the most recent year for which figures are available compared to 2021. However, the charity Acid Survivors Trust International, or ASTI, which compiled the data, said the figures were likely to be far higher given a number of police forces did not respond to their requests for data. So... According to Asti's website, the UK has the highest number of recorded acid attacks in the world. I'm really surprised by that. I don't know why I'm surprised by that, but I am really surprised by it. Well, we're quite a small country, aren't we? I mean, yeah. like, So that is quite surprising. World beating, Jen. Historically, these kind of acid attacks have been more commonly perpetrated against men and a link to so-called gang violence. But in 2022, the number of women victims outstripped male victims for the first time ever. Again, all horrible statistics,
0: an absolutely horrific thing to have happen to someone or for someone to do to another person, but not making it passive. But again, I was surprised because I think the high profile cases that I've read
3: about women and seen on telly have been women, yeah. So I would have just assumed it was something that was perpetrated against women, but apparently not, not until recently. But yeah, like the mind boggles, doesn't it? Just the, the cruelty of it. Like, you know, violence against women and girls is is nothing fucking new, is it? But like no. the, the cruelty of that specific type of violence is just, yeah. It's staggering. Yeah. Really harrowing to think about and utterly terrifying. You know, it is really
0: scary. And again, all violence it, I find quite terrifying and it happens way, way too often as we talk about a lot. But there is something
3: particularly, I don't know, visceral, more yeah. or more visceral about this. It's important to be proportionate that, you know, the the number of attacks like this, they're pretty small in comparison to, to other forms of violence and they are, as is usually the case with violence against women and girls, that they are usually perpetrated by people known to the victim not just a a random guy in the street but I also think you know a lot of people came to the aid of this woman and her children and a lot of people were actually injured themselves in coming to her aid and if you have a little google there's quite a lot of articles doing the rounds at the moment about what you can actually do to help someone or indeed yourself if you witness or are subjected to an attack of this kind because it's you know it's stuff that might not necessarily be that obvious. No, of course not. Some some light reading for after the podcast, isn't Yes, yeah.
0: sorry, like, sorry, guy. It's all right. Like to be fair, Jen, I'd already depressed myself this morning with my news story, mm. which did genuinely make me go, "Oh God!" Uh, not least because I had to do some maths. Anyway, <laughs> before we get to the meat, the sad grey meat. I have to start with the massive caveat that I I love my job. I love my job. I am really very lucky to have shaped a work life that apart from having to do the accounts, is a total joy and a privilege and has introduced me to a herd of brilliant women doing brilliant things. And yet, and yet still, the news that it looks like I'll have to work (laughs) until I'm at least 68, probably 71 before I can get my state pension is the opposite of great news particularly given that by 70, only 50% of adults in England and Wales are disability-free and able to work. Which is, of course, part of the problem. A smaller working population and a large economically inactive population reduces that lovely tax base to pay for pensions. Les Mayhew, Associate Head of Global Research at the International Longevity Centre, Professor of Statistics at Bayes Business School and author of the recent report State Pension Age and Demographic Change, said... In the UK, state pension age would need to be 70 or 71 compared with 66 now to maintain the status quo of the number of workers per state pensioner. But if you bring preventable ill health into the equation, that would have to increase even more. Thanks, Lee. A UK state pension age of 71 isn't on the cards just yet, though. Currently, the UK pension age is 66 and set to rise to 67 between May 2026 and March 2028. From 2044, the year I turn 67, it's expected to rise to 68. Fuck you, maths. Fuck you (laughs) in the bum. With young generations very much not having the financial assets that their parents and grandparents did, where the money is going to come from remains a massive question in so many aspects of future life. The government, that's our government, said it will ensure that the state pension remains a sustainable and fair foundation of income for future generations. A spokesperson from that their government said, yeah, <laughs> our £2.5 billion back-to-work plan is supporting people to stay fit and find work, in addition to £14.1 billion to improve health services to help people live longer, healthier lives. And in unrelated news, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, yep, still him, has acknowledged that he has failed to keep his promise to cut healthcare weight in this. Just thought, just put put
3: that one in there as well, Jen. Not that they're connected. Might be a bit connected. As Shakira very nearly said, the stats don't lie, Rishi. Stats don't lie.
0: Oh, now I want to watch Shakira, which is one of my favourite things to do to cheer myself up. <laughs> I had an incredible, you know, on Twitter or X or wherever, when it it tells yeah. you who you should be following, you should be following And it just kept throwing Shakira at me. And I was astounded I wasn't already following her. I am now. Lovely stuff.
3: I mean, that was great news, Mick, and I'm (laughs) delighted to hear it. Would you like some more good news? Please, is it Shakira-based? Sadly not. But uh, it is Viking-based, so... Oh, I'll bring it on, yeah. I'm sure you and all of our listeners will be familiar with the Shetland Viking Festival up Hellyark. I think it needs to be said with a Scottish accent, Gem, but I don't know whether you should. Well, what I will say from watching Shetland uh, for many seasons now, that accent is actually a bit, a bit Norse sounding. So, um, I'm, oh, okay. I'm not even going to attempt it. So let me let me learn you a bit on this score. It's an annual fire festival which takes place in Lerwick, Shetland, every January and involves processions, marches, and the burning of a galley. I'm going to assume you mean ship, not kitchen. There, uh, Jen. Yep, a little Viking, little Viking <laughs> <laughs> kitchen. Uh, it's, it's been around since the 1880s, but up until last week, the main procession was a male-only space. That is to say, Mickey's making a hissing face. That is to say that a 40-year campaign to include women in the procession has finally paid off. Just need to stick at it, girls. Come on. <laughs> So 16-year-old Jenna Moore and three of her cousins became the first women participants. Well done, them. Yeah. So what's been the big change following years of resistance, revolt, and a couple of women here and there dressing up as men in an attempt to join the Geezer squads? I don't know. What has been the change, Jen? Well, apparently it was in 2022 when Andrea Manson became Shetland's provost, And Maggie Sanderson became the council's chief executive. Put more women in decision-making positions.
0: No, because they'll steal our heritages, Jen. They'll steal our geezers. I want to be the geezer. Mornings, next week.
3: Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are
0: they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week where maybe I'm being unfair. Let's find out. Taylor Swift, Jen. You know Taylor Swift. I do, yeah, I do know.
3: Not personally, ofs.
0: Mega talented singer songwriter Uh just made pop history at the Grammys. Uh Smashing feminist, worth approximately one point one billion dollars, and pretty damn easy on the eye. You know that Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, right? Yeah, yeah. So many ways of work. Yeah. Well, Jen, I'm afraid I have some bad news about Taylor Swift. Fuck. What? What's she done? She's 34. I know. It's appalling that she's let this happen. Even more shocking is that despite being (laughs) basically dust now, she's managed to snare a man and rumour has it they're engaged. I know. Owen Benjamin is pretty disgusted by all of the above and uh, the, let me just check his Twitter bio, the comedian slash farmer needed the internet to know his thoughts. I say Twitter, there's no doubt in my mind that Owen Benjamin referred to it as X, the moment must change it and correct people (laughs) who still call it Twitter. Are you ready for what comedian slash farmer with a blue tick Owen Benjamin had to say about Taylor Swift Jen? Oh, as ready as I'll ever be, cool. You are not. You're never going to be ready. (laughs) Right. This is a quote. Why would a rich, famous guy marry a 34-year-old woman? If you started immediately, you might be able to have two kids. And she's publicly had sex with a ton of guys. Publicly? Has she? Despite her wealth, she's very low quality for any successful male. Just seems weird and almost like he's a gay guy? Almost, oh, nice, yes. He carries on, be- because of course he does. <laughs> Why would a successful man want a middle aged woman who's always well, on tour? Is it, could it be, because he's gay? Probs.
1: <laughs>
3: oh dear.
0: Now, do we think I'm being unfair centering sexism of the week on this one split condom of a man <laughs> whose comedy, <laughs> shtick, Is these sort of takedowns, conspiracy theories and lashings of homophobia? It's sexism, not sexist of the week, Mickey. Or, alternatively, do we think his toxic masculinity is likely echoed by many, many more men? Oh, it's a thinker. It's not a thinker, is it? It's not a thinker at all. A new survey published last week found that Gen Z boys and men are more likely than older baby boomers to believe that feminism has done more harm than good. And a fifth of the men, aged between 16 to 29, surveyed by King's College, London's Policy Institute and the Global Institute for Women's Leadership, look favourably on Andrew Tate. That's Andrew Tate, currently facing charges in Romania of rape and human trafficking, and who has talked about hitting and choking women and has said he is, quote, absolutely a misogynist. What a guy! What guys! Look, it's depressing, if not surprising, news. Want to know something potentially even more depressing, Jen? Why the, why the fuck not? Owen Benjamin has four kids. Sexism of the week ain't going
3: anywhere fast. And sexist of the minute is very much a thing. But why are you so worried about it? Why are you so worried about Travis, whatever his face is, uh, sexuality? Taylor Swift's boyfriend. That's yeah. the only way I, I will refer I to him. I don't know how you pronounce his surname but I think he's Travis someone isn't he yeah that's a strange link to make it's his go-to link he's renowned as an alt-right conspiracy theorist
0: nutter I mean look him up his timeline is a joy it's basically the 80s playground kind of oh you're gay all of the time like it's an insult when it's not he's using it as an insult when it's not it's you know he's just oh an enormous race of skin but that tweet made me laugh yeah for like a (laughs) full day
3: it's just basically dust.
0: <laughs> Hello, I'm joined on the Zoom by one of my favourites, comedian, actress, writer, podcasteer, weightlifter and eater, Jess Q. That's
4: my favourite ever. List of things that you've done there for an introduction. Podcasteer. Like a musketeer. Yeah, like musketeers. Yeah, love it. Love it.
0: Did I see footage of you pulling
4: a bus with your teeth? No, not with my teeth. Uh, <laughs> with my uh... mainly back and arse, but the illusion of hands. Yeah, yeah, that was um, one of the best things I've ever done in my life. That was one of the funnest days of my human life. It was this, like a strong woman competition and it was the last event. And I'd already really solidified my place in the middle of the pack by that point. <laughs> but um, I came second at pulling a bus and some of the women were mega that day they were extraordinary they like it, it was the first one of those i'd ever done i still only ever done three in an amazing gym in Deptford called commando temple run by an amazing strong woman called maya blair yeah what a day
0: that's incredible i love it you kind of like jeff
4: capes but a lady <laughs> in his latter years jeff capes was often photographed or and um, filmed with a um, tiny little bird on his shoulder
0: yes my grandma was obsessed with jeff capes and big daddy fucking oh them.
4: god i think the bird was just for his perspective to make his shoulders look bigger <laughs> don't you?
0: do you think he yeah. lost a little bit of bulk and he was like yeah. i know
4: what i'll do i know if i get small creatures nearby i'll look like a, a sort of benevolent yeah he's gonna look it's got snow white energy with a of frame
0: if anything this made me respect him more to be honest with you yeah Talking yep. of Hench, I rewatched Hench last night because it's Aww. available as an Amazon Prime special. A hello, yes please, Jess Foster, cute on demand. Thanks. Two things. One, after we've finished, my husband immediately did 40
4: push-ups. What an effect. <gasps> Whoa. Wowee. Never intended to be anybody's fitspiration. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and also, all of it is very thoughtful and very fucking funny, but I was really re-struck on your bit on diet culture and mm. how many brilliant women waste time, energy and potential trying to be smaller because of it and obviously the patriarchy always there in the background. Me, 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 me. Well, I'm still not quite there yet with my body, uh, but I am getting there. It astonishes me that I now daily and willingly put something called bulk into my body, just of my own volition. How are you with your body now? Are you friends with it? Position? did thy heal thyself?
4: yeah, I'm a lot further on. That was 2019, 2020, or what there was of 2020. And then yeah. the irony is I think I'm a lot further on now, you know, I was talking the talk. But I tell you what, I must have come quite far because I got much bigger during the lockdowns. I just wasn't as active or as full of adrenaline as I was it before that. And that was okay. It wasn't great. I didn't feel lovely about it. But I didn't and I didn't um, revert back to the sort of disordered eating I would have done historically in those kind of, in those kind of moments. I, I, I thankfully had a, a brilliant, I remember a brilliant conversation can't remember exactly who with, where they just said, yeah, but when the world reopens, you'll go back to your normal level of activity and your body will go back to normal. And I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all sorts of things that happen, you know, over the course of a lot, you know, menopause, injury, um, work, meaning you can't move like you want to move pregnancy, uh, illness, all sorts of things happen all the time. You don't always get to control your sort of level of your activity and what your body's up to. So I think now I think a lot more about in terms of if I get to do the amount of PE I want to do, that is a privilege. That is a massive privilege. That's an honour. And, yeah, I am further on, but I'm not fixed. I don't think I'll ever be someone who looks in the mirror and goes, whoa, whoa. I'm still not someone who gets there guts out on Instagram or you know, I'll never say <laughs> never but I'm in awe of people who are like so comfy in their skin that they can do that and I think it is the future, I think there's some madness The so one thing that happened in the last kind of year that tickled me is I um, i was trying to write a bit of material um, and the punchline was Bowdoin Tankini and so <laughs> as a conscientious comedian I thought I will check if that item exists
1: mm.
4: long story short five minutes later it turns out there was a sale on and I'd bought a Bowdoin tankini and, <laughs> all, 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 all the while thinking oh god who am i who am i you know i didn't think i was in that bracket yet and then you know i was i was putting stuff about this on the on the instagram and a, a much younger friend is in a mid 20s an italian woman like a really beautiful cool italian woman was like what in the hell is a tankini and i was like oh no I've fallen for Ian in advertising's trick. He's, of course, <laughs> of course, a young Italian does. They've told us that it's cool and young and sexy by putting eni on the end. Same thing they did with Paolo Nattini. And now <laughs> I thought it wasn't for middle aged women, it's for cool young Italians. And young Italians have never heard of a tankini. And oh. actually, when you are forced to describe a tankini to someone who's never heard of one, it's depressing. Yeah, it's got eni there, but it's also got tank. Tank is hard as a hard sell, as yeah. is as you said, bulk. They they were definitely weren't aiming at. Uh, I don't think they were aiming at women when they first invented that supplement brand. Although I also get my bits and bobs from there as well. I think they're great, and also don't mind if someone said, "Oh, you have put on some bulk." I am. Um, I think I could take that in a relatively neutral way these days. Anyway, yeah, when you're forced to say it's like a bikini, but with the sort of the top is long to cover your body you hate. There's sort of no other way of putting it, <laughs> it other than that. There's no other way. Of being like, it's sort of like um, yeah, covers up the bits that you're ashamed of. You yeah, cold, yeah, oh, body is so bleak. It's so bleak. i you actually just...
0: just blatantly lying. Like, oh, I, I quite often get quite cold on the beach, and so yeah. I like to just have that little bit of extra coverage.
4: I'm perfectly normal, regulating my temperature around my sort of shoulders and neckline, and and um and from the knees down. But um, I do find the belly button does catch a draft. Yeah, right.
0: A nesh tummy. We've all got a bit of a nesh tummy. <laughs> it is progress, though, and I do think, you know, what we're fighting against means that any progress is absolutely to be applauded.
4: Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. true. And I do, I would say now, if someone says you look strong, or God, you're like, but, so, you know, they comment on a body part and it's in any way where what they're trying to do, however... Um, claggingly they do it, says you're strong. I think thanks. And I genuinely just think thanks now. And that's gone from being a very conflicted thanks to a very definite and real thanks. I had a lady say, Oh, I want thighs like that when I grow up. I had someone say, <laughs> I had someone call me Quadzilla. And all of those things, I think, you know, two, three years ago, maybe more like four or five years ago, I'd be like, mm-hmm. now I think, oh, kid.
0: I also, a little side note, I also spotted that The Silence of the Nuns was available to watch. I can't yeah. tell you how often I think about you on that cruise ship and laugh. Well, <laughs> I'm sorry.
4: Fair enough. Have you recovered from the trauma yet? Yeah, I am. I'm over that now. That was a lot. That was seven years ago. But yeah, I'm all. I'm over that. I say I'm over it. I'm never, ever going on a cruise again for fun or for work. Ever. Like, that's just not how I want to go down. In every sense.
0: My in-laws are off on a cruise ship next month and I, I do feel sad for the Jess Foster Q on board, whoever that yeah. Jess Foster Q
4: is. Brilliant comedian called Esther Minito did one in more recent years and um, she's got a really funny bit in it in her show, which she just extended the tour actually. I think it's called Hell Hath No Fury and it's really funny if you want to catch it, but um, I'm supposed to be plugging mine, but I'm, I'm 100% plugging someone else's and that's, and that's fine. And she's got a brilliant bit about it in, spoiler, but it basically... They didn't tell her, but it turned out to be a swingers cruise.
0: Oh my God. <laughs> and it's the really funny bit in her show. So, highly recommend. I think you'd have had a better time if it was yeah. swingers, not nanas.
4: Well, what about nana swingers? not saying they're not nanas, mate. Oh, yeah, there
0: we go. Yeah I've, yeah, I've jumped to conclusions that aren't true. So, yeah, since The Silence of the Nans, you've totally become the queen of the one word title Hench, Wench, Metal. Were, yeah. were you not tempted to keep it rhyming?
4: I was tempted, and I think some people are livid. <laughs> no, I haven't. But then I just thought, where does it ever end? Do you know what I mean? And actually, like, I think actually having three or four years of your DMs being um, pretty full of people going, stench? Uh, you know, suggesting ench names. I was like, then you know, I don't think I can do... I think there's too long of my career left, hopefully,
2: So to, <laughs> to weather
4: conversation for that much longer. And also, you know, it, it might surprise people to know, but, like, you don't pick a title and then write a show to that theme. You write oh. a show and then you need to give it a title based on what you wanted to write a show about. Literally behind uh, the
0: curtain. And also a cat behind your shoulder. Cat intruder, cat intruder. <laughs> Is that the one who talks?
4: Yeah, Conrad.
0: Hello? Hello? Just for the listeners, that's the cat, not Jess. <laughs> it's incredible.
4: <laughs> no, that's the noise he makes when he um, needs a shit.
0: Okay, tell us a bit about Metal. It's such okay. a
4: great word. Such a great oh, word, thank by the way. you. I think it's a weird word and actually I quite like choosing slightly weird words that might need explaining. Not that I do explain it. I only say it once in the whole show. Yeah. Well, metal is like, it means grit, determination and it's a show about trying hard. It's a show about, I, uh, do you know what? You know, you have to write like a press release or you have to write a summary of your show ages before it's finished. Yeah. And um, I, I accidentally got it right. Because often <laughs> i like, Hench, I tried. I started off writing a show about strength that ended up, I think, being a show about gender. Ugh. With Wench, I started off writing a show about promiscuity that ended up being, I think, far more about um, privilege and uh, identity transformation. And then in Metal, I, I started off writing a show about passion and pace and purpose. And I have written the show about passion and pace and purpose. It starts about um, my perception of my own ageing. Like, I, this, I really feel this really strong sense that it's like, accelerated like and I'm on like I'm in a rush like and I thought actually as I got older I was about to slow down but if anything I feel like I'm speeding up I also thought as I got older I was meant to, meant to give less shits about things I feel like I care about things more than I've ever cared about things ever before with a like real massive urgency and so it's about those things and then I'm finding as well like I've just turned 40 so you always give things a bit of a mega reassess when you have a landmark birthday mm-hmm. um but I'm finding that I feel very ready in myself and in my comedy to stop analysing who I am and look at what's happening in the world and apply kind of where I'm at to what I'm seeing happening in the world. So that's a bit of a first, really, for me. And long may it continue, hopefully. Annoyingly, I found much harder to write comedy about the things you're re- like, that yeah. really matter, the big wide world that affect lots of people very differently and the people have got very big, charged emotions about and but I'm going there in this show for the first time ever there's bits in it that are gonna piss people off you know they already have in previews and that's exhilarating and terrifying going into a tour with bits in it like that bits of me are going like you could have done an hour of jokes in a row if you wanted and I have it is all jokes I should make clear but I also (laughs) it's also a feather ruffler I love it
0: I think you've you've nailed it as well in your description of what you wanted to do because it's that compression of time as we get older. It absolutely yeah, yeah. does feel like it's speeding up because every year is a is a smaller fraction of of what we've done kind of thing. Or is it a bigger fraction? Smaller. Oh smaller. smaller Sorry, that yeah. isn't my strong point. The listeners know that. <laughs> but also I think the fact that you're willing to ruffle feathers is that idea of we give less fucks about internal stuff and how people feel about us. Right, but yeah. I absolutely agree with you that I've started to give much more of a shit about what's going on around me.
4: It's cruel, actually, isn't it? Because we could have got so much more done if we weren't navel-gazing for the first 40 years.
0: Just, just staring at that well, navel through our tankini. Yeah.
4: <laughs> you stretch it, see if you can see through the tankini. <laughs>
0: Now, you said about the summary that you wrote, and it did make me laugh because your press release promises that Metal is going to be one of your most personal shows to date. And having seen all of your shows, I'm not sure how, could how it be much any more, more personal you can get, Jess.
4: Let's be honest, not sure I wrote that line. Yeah, <laughs> I've shown you inside me. Absolutely. I've, ri- I've basically ripped my heart out through my mouth in every show I've ever done. How could I possibly get any more personal? I'm pretty confident I didn't write that line. Okay. Um, it's... Um... <laughs> Let's just put it out there. You get, you, it gets. There are other people do a draft, lads. Is what happens. Yeah, uh, but I mean that was too honest, and I will continue to be too honest in the comedy as well. <laughs> um, it's um, it is still a personal show. It's my take on exactly where I'm at in the world, you know. And there's still stuff in there about how absolutely brilliant I am at parenting. <laughs> there's stuff about lifting and stuff about PE. I think my comedy is always going to be about where I'm at, but yeah. for the first time, this is about where I'm at. And how that's changing the lens through which I'm looking at where we're all at. And there is something, I think, when you've got any kind of platform, as we are both lucky enough to have, uh, we're using it right now, is you go, well, I need to be using it for something good. Like I need to, I've got, yeah. you've only got, you're met. you more and more aware of how much time you've got left on the universe. I mean, still hopefully, you know, we're under halfway through. But we also, whereas women, it's not really under halfway through because people will stop listening the older we get. So <laughs> we need to, um, we just, I don't know. You, you, on one hand, I want to harness that desire and really go, right, let's go hard, let's work hard, let's be activists in our passions. But equally, I've watched it as well with my, I think I can safely say something that she's doing this, but I've watched this happen with my parents. And I think that taking it personally thing can potentially be quite unhelpful at times. Ugh. I think post retirement for my parents, There can be, like, an obsession and a sadness over things that they... My mum took Brexit real hard in a way that I was like, yeah, I agree. Like, we were on the same page politically about it. We both were surprised, devastated. But I found I was able to, like, detach, analyse, but balanced in a way that she was so emotionally hurt by it. Right. That actually, once you get to that point, you're going to then have some work to do to sort of get over effectively what's presented to you as a trauma. Yeah, So, I don't know, you can care too much, (laughs) and I don't want to go so far down that road, that, like, taking it personally road, because actually, it isn't personal. It's the same as road rage. I mean, nothing feels more personal than when someone overtakes you and cuts you up and nearly, you know, smashes into the front of your car or kills himself on their motorbike when they're swerving round you, and your heart rate goes like, and you know, if you got out of the car, you'd be close to a physical fight. Like, it is like, "Hmm." but actually, they haven't even seen your face. They don't know who you are. You're never seeing them again. It couldn't be less personal. It's all about them. It's nothing to do with you. And it's the same thing with these harrowing world events. It doesn't mean don't get fired up, but you've got to keep that balance, I think, where you don't let it tip into being like (laughs) personal because I think that's where you potentially lose your um, motivation to actually do anything about it. I guess it can make you feel a bit stuck in those emotions. Yeah, totally.
0: OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it a little bit lighter now. That's Sorry, okay. yeah, yeah, probably right, yeah. I would like to know, Hoovering Jess, what is the most delicious thing you've
4: eaten recently, please? Oh, gosh. It's bad But I'm having to pick from lots of delicious things. I'm trying to think. I've had some lovely things and wonder if it's going to be something. Just before we recorded this, I've been assembling a lasagna and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a But no, the most delicious thing I've eaten recently was, it was in December... I went to a restaurant in Islington. It's tiny and brilliant and it only does a tasting menu, but it's lipping reasonable called Black Axe Mangal. And they either have an omnivorous or a vegan version. It blew my mind. I ate things I'd never eaten before. I tried sweetbreads. I had this like incredible, it's called a back, and it's like a hot beetroot, but it's like a, just a shot of it. And it comes with a shot of like really good vodka. And you do the beetroot, do the vodka, and then you have a tiny little chomp of this like, spicy little sausage oh my god uh, it (laughs) It was so good i think about it all the time and i can't wait to go back it was extraordinary
0: right when is sturdy girls club back on radio four please because i know there's
4: more coming there's more coming i'm researching it right now oh my god so excited i am having a lot of fun i'm learning a lot about myself mike i just really think there's nothing left to find out um it is recording at the end of April at Upper Creek when I recorded the first series. Oh, Over two days. It's four half hours, four different episodes on four completely different unladylike sports.
0: Yes. I don't even know what that means. It could mean anything.
4: Nor did I or any of the people I've interviewed. So that'll be one of the things we get into, I think.
0: And will there be tickets for people to come and sit in the audience?
4: Yeah, there will. Yeah, yeah. amazing. And I'm afraid I don't yet know when it will go out, but I imagine the turnaround's pretty quick with things like that. So uh, it will be out this year for sure. Um, But yeah, it's free. I think it's just a case of booking in. They're not available yet. I would say in terms of priorities right now, I would mainly love people to come get tickets to see my show Metal on tour. And also you can now download my last show as a special wench from 800 pound gorilla and it's pay what you want and if you've got no dosh at all that is also fine um around the end of february it will become available to stream or download for free so um hold your horses but obviously if you've got a spare five I'd, I'd love it i'd love to that on it but no thing number one come and see metal is touring for the next six months
0: well there you go metal is coming to a venue near you sometime between now and june the 21st and info on the where's and when's as well as tickets are available from plosive.co.uk Jess, you are what I am going to affectionately term a platform slut you're all over the telly and the podcasts. so where can people find you on the socials to keep up with whatever the fuck you're up to?
4: I am at Jessica Fosterke and I'm most active on Instagram, I'd say
0: An absolute gorgeous pleasure chatting to your lovely face. Thank you mate.
1: Hello, Hannah here. I am joined by Catherine Carr, journalist, radio presenter, podcast presenter.
2: So nice to be with you and to meet you finally, Hannah. Thank you very much for inviting me to be on.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I really wanted to talk to you about one of your podcasts because one that recently came third in the Pop Bible listener's choice, which is Where Are You Going? which is simply you asking people that question. You have a 4.9%, I noticed, in your reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is pretty rare, Catherine. What do you think it is that speaks to people about such a simple format?
2: I think it's because it gives people permission to eavesdrop into other people's lives. I think I spend a lot of... Well, I know I spend a lot of my time looking at people and making up backstories for them, which probably are totally inaccurate. I'm fascinated. And then I really love the idea that I might actually find out what's going on. This idea that I do it for people and they can just eavesdrop on our conversation. I stop people on the street, literally, on the way to the shops, on the way to catch a plane, a train, a bus, sometimes on the way to do an operation once, a surgeon in a taxi queue who had a woman waiting on the slab for him, you know. And all of a sudden, this one question it allows their whole life to kind of unfold. And I think who doesn't want to know about the lives of the people around them? And it becomes kind of addictive as well. It helps you, not helps you, it sounds all really worthy, but I think it takes us outside of ourselves for a little while as well. You know what's going on in your life and it's very important, but there's something lovely about not being the main character.
1: (laughs) How many people do you ask before someone says yes, how do you go about spotting who is a good person? I want to talk about Vox Pops later, but as someone who has done a ton of vox pops in my life. I just wondered how you isolate who who would be a good person to chat to.
2: You make me sound a bit like a sniper. <laughs> <Have you isolated? laughs> I mean really, I'll give you an example. I went to Bury St Edmunds recently, which is a l lo- I mean absolutely beautiful town if you've not been, and it was just before Christmas. Wasn't that busy. It was quite cold. I didn't pick or isolate people. I just spoke to the next person that came along. The first person that came along turned out to be an American whose sister was visiting. His sister has planted a church in Sarajevo, I think, or Slovenia. And this whole story about cultural shock and realising that humanity was the same here and there and reflecting on their lives back in Florida. That was followed up by this guy who's obsessed by the 16th century and was wearing like a knitted hat like Chaucer would have worn, (laughs) followed up by these two wonderful women who put on gorgeous festivals in the woods in Suffolk every year. It was just the next... I don't have a a system for doing it because then it would become... It's not random because it can't be totally random, but I wanted to be as random as possible. So it is really the next person that I can sort of legitimately get to. And how many of them are keen to chat? Oh, 98%. Wow. You could do this programme outside my front door from now until the end of time. Yeah. Or you could do it outside whoever's listening to this front door, whether they live in Walthamstow or whether they live in Barnstable or Leeds. Location sort of really doesn't matter at all. There's beauty and shock and unbelievable stories in quite mundane-sounding mm-hmm. beginning stories. So you might talk to somebody I did in Berry, let's say, Berry St Edmunds, one of the other people I spoke to that day was a guy who empties the bins in the parks and in the town centre. And it turns out he'd been the son of Jewish refugees. So he was listening to a podcast about the Middle East conflict. That's how we got talking. But the main story he told me was about the love of his life, who was his wife, who developed Alzheimer's really young, and who he cared for, for years. And he gave me this incredibly interesting, beautiful account of what it is to love somebody and to find it incredibly difficult to live with them and to feel grief and relief when they died. Mm. You know, that's going right into your heart, which is kind of endless. But that is astonishing. I never would have guessed for a minute that all of that was behind his high-vis jacket.
1: Yeah. You also spoke to a woman in Belfast recently who was quite open about some medical problems that she'd had. Something occurred to me and that was why I remembered what it used to be like doing a vox pop because I hated doing vox pops. In fact, I think most reporters hated doing vox pops. I always used to go to old people and women pushing buggies. And my theory was that nobody had really asked them their opinion on anything for ages. Sometimes people do just want to
2: talk they just have something on their chest. I think you're right so much in what you said which is true so where are you going I would say is not a vox pop.
1: No it's absolutely not.
2: I'm not sort of taking the temperature on anything and also that's sort of the beauty of it 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 uses the idea of a vox pop in the way you're, you're going out and talking to strangers but often I've done vox pops as well and you're sent out onto the street find out what people think about Gordon Brown's latest budget and you think oh god and then you've got to ask people to be an expert. Yeah. And people people are very shy about being an expert about things out in the world, but people are not shy about being an expert about themselves.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: And plus, where are you going starts with the question, where are you going? Well, everyone knows the answer to this. If you're going to Sainsbury's, it's not very challenging to say, going to Sainsbury's, yeah. and before you know it, you've got a conversation. They're not having to say, well, I think the IMF this. The second thing which you touched on there, I think is one of the reasons why we might have such a high rating on the stars thing, the 4.9 and why we get message after message after message from people. And that's because I think sometimes we don't take the time to stop, to find out what's going on with people and we don't ask. And maybe we've lost a little bit of the ability to listen, which is the the big thing that I've learnt. like listen for the clues. What does someone really want to talk about? You might be going down one path, but it's like Hansel and Gretel. They'll drop a little breadcrumb. They'll have a little throwaway line and say, oh, well, that was just the beginning of it all. And, then, and they're trying to tell you what they want to tell you. And I find that fascinating. We got an email from a person who runs a charity who said, thank you for the podcast, because when I suffer compassion fatigue, it's the place I go to remind me about the enormity of other people's lives and what's going on around me. And that sounds really Holy Mary, and I don't mean it to sound like that. But there is something valuable, I think, in constantly getting out of the way and letting other people's lives kind of foreground. You spoke to
1: two men in Brussels station who I was totally fascinated by because you initially assumed that they were a couple and they weren't, but they were ever so
2: cagey about how they knew each other. (laughs) (laughs) I did get a message saying, Brussels, colon, couple, definitely, right? (laughs) I was like,
1: well... I mentioned that you had the Podcast Listeners Award, also Best Presenter at the We Are Audio Awards for you, Catherine.
2: I know. That was a hilarious evening. It was like something from a sitcom because I knew I'd be nominated, obviously, but it's for all its success. Where are you going is not a celebrity fronted, lots of money put into it exercise. So you sort of have a sense of humility with that. You're like, mm. OK, we're up against, quote, unquote, the big boys and girls. And I walked into the auditorium and a friend of mine who produced a show which basically scooped every award in every category in award season, if you want to call it that, was sitting on the end of a row. And I said, oh, blimey, have they told you you're going to win? Is that why you're sitting on the end of the row? Because no one told me to sit on the <laughs> <seat."> <laughs> So I was really grumpy and I kind of shuffled the only place left was right in the middle at the back of the auditorium. So I sat down with a couple of mates. It's really fun when you go to these things because, you know, you know people who make things and you're proud of them and you want them to win. So we're sort of clapping away for all the people that we want to win and whooping. And then it came to our category and they said, you know, bronze goes to silver, goes to, and my friends and I turned to each other in total unison and said, never mind. (laughs) And then they said, oh, gold goes to, and it was my name. And I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then in the same moment, I thought, Oh, sugar. I'm right at the back, right in the middle of a row. <laughs> so they, they were kind of doing the like, do, 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 do. And then, do, 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 do. And I was, meanwhile, sorry, I'm so sorry, excuse me. I'm really sorry. Could you move your foot? <laughs> so no, I didn't expect to win. And it was an interesting evening because it was just when the war in the Middle East had started and there were some people using the opportunity fairly and rightly to talk about the situation in Israel and Palestine, feeling a bit conflicted, sort of saying, I wonder if all this pizzazz and fizzy wine event matters when this is going on in the world. And I thought, I then had to make a speech, and because I hadn't expected to win, I hadn't, hadn't prepared a single thing to say a short speech, but a speech. So as I was like making my way along that row, I thought, no, I disagree with you. Obviously, you know, two things can be true. Like you can give money to help with a situation that's going on and you can celebrate beautiful radio that's made. Yeah. But more than that, our podcast and a lot of other podcasts that exist and radio programmes, they tell stories and they tell stories to help us understand other people's realities, even other people's realities we might struggle to have compassion for or believe in or under whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's probably the only tool we've got. So I sort of said something like that, which probably sounded a bit showy-offy or whatever, but I actually believe it. I actually no, I think it's st- really powerful. Um, and with our podcast, we're not going to people whose stories we already know. They've been researched, they've been in the media already, they've been on this show and that show. They're just somebody walking past. And before you know it, wham, you have a little bit more insight into the way that the world works because you know their story.
1: Can we talk briefly before you go, Catherine, about Relatively, which is your other yes. podcast, which is about siblings which is a a very, very fascinating topic.
2: It is a fascinating topic. I take it you've got a sibling?
1: I have two siblings. I have a brother and a sister, yeah.
2: Are you middle baby or oldest? I'm the
1: middle one, yeah. The best one. Me too.
2: Yeah, Me too.
1: (laughs) Or the fucked up one, depending on how you look at it.
2: Well, my podcast did say Catherine started this podcast to finally get some attention. So exactly that (laughs) i'm hoping to write a book about siblings actually based on it it came about during the start of the pandemic i you know it's not nice to talk about that but there was an element of people reaching out to their grown-up siblings like their pack and just making sure everyone was okay in this weird dystopian nightmare we suddenly found ourselves living in and i was talking to jane garvey actually who used to present um women's hour now of course is on times radio and I was saying, oh, I don't know. I should just make a podcast about my prison officer sister and my vicar's wife's sister. It's such a drama. And she said, no, but you should make a podcast about siblings. And I thought, do you know what? And then she said this line, which is the sort of strap line for our podcast. She said, you know, it could be the longest relationship of your whole life. I was like, thunderbolt moment. I was like, why has no one ever explained that to me before? That you could mm. have a relationship with your sister for 97 years or something. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And so I started sort of talking to... The idea is you get a celebrity-ish or a well-known person and a sibling, and I interview them separately and then together. And what's beautiful about that is you can ask Catelyn Moran, you could ask her sister, what's Catelyn really like? Or how would you describe her character? And you get these beautiful, intimate answers, which then you can ask the other sibling, oh, your sister said that... She's always felt quite protective of you and she worries about you. And then you get their response. It punctures the kind of celebrity narrative because you also get siblings being like, don't be an idiot. That's not how it was. Yeah. <laughs> it's about stories. Again, two siblings telling the same story from different perspectives is totally fascinating. And it's hilarious. Jess Phillips and her brother told this story that still makes me weep with laughter, that they got shut in their bedroom. was the 80s. They got locked in their bedroom for being naughty or like, grounded to their bedroom or something and so to quote unquote cheer their dad up it was near christmas time they used a family (laughs) bottle of um, talcum powder to create a winter wonderland in their bedroom which they thought Uh would really really cheer him up you know so it's got that it's got nostalgia and then it's got you know truth people opening up about family life and their relationship and a lot a lot of times siblings when i asked them to talk they hadn't thought about it just like I hadn't when I started they were like oh I never I never thought about our relationship quite like that and so to hear those realizations on tape in real time fascinated I absolutely love that book.
1: Recently a couple of people that I know who are only children have had some big life issues coming up and I found it really interesting to observe them doing it alone Mm. you know without I mean obviously they're not alone it really made me realise the value of having somebody who basically has lost exactly the same thing that you've lost or is worried about losing exactly the same thing that you're losing. Because my brother is 10 years younger than me, so he doesn't always get the thing because he wasn't always there. There are things that my sister and I talk about that he just doesn't know about, even relatives that he never met. So I have my sister for that
2: completely and I think that's the the paradox that I've just been writing about actually so Jill and Nick Hornby uh, Nick both authors Nick Hornby you'll know and they came on they had a very interesting story you will have to listen to their episode and they sort of said you know we're the keepers of each other's he- histories
1: yeah
2: who else who else could understand and yet the paradox is just like you said with your brother it's like a flowing river the, the family if you think about it and each baby is born and the river moves on and the next one is born and things have changed in between that time like the family dogs died or you've moved house your dad's been made redundant or got a promotion the grandma's died yeah it's not quite the same and you mess up the birth order because you make the youngest the middle or the oldest so it's all very sort of yes we all share this thing and it's so comforting as I get older towards middle age my sisters I couldn't do this stage of life without them I don't think but at the same time, they were the main character in their story of their childhood. And I have to bow down to that sometimes and say, tell me how it was for you. Oh, that's weird. I don't remember that. <laughs> so it's a really, really interesting topic. I'm hoping the book gets bought and I get to do lots more research into it, basically.
1: Oh, me too. Yeah. And come back and talk to Thank us you. When, you, when you've learned some more. Because, I mean, in Canada, I haven't always got on with both of them, especially my sister, because we had to share a bedroom.
2: So Ooh. yeah,
1: we were on top of each other basically yeah. the whole time and we didn't have a huge amount in common. In yeah. You know, we didn't really like the same stuff. In fact, people used to say to us, when you've both got kids, that's when you'll really get on well. Interestingly, neither of us had kids, but we do get <laughs> on well now.
2: Yeah, there's lots of research about this I could bore you with, but I do think there is a kind of There's a midlife thing where you reach back to old friends, even if you don't have siblings or people who knew you before everything got messy. It's a very common thing to do. And so actually getting better relationships with your siblings can be one of the things that happens in midlife because you just want someone who can return you to yourself sometimes. Mm. The other thing I would say is there's some really interesting sort of nerdy DNA facts, which is just the way that DNA is shared down the generations. You can share the similar amount of DNA with your sibling as you do with a cousin or with a twin. So actually, when people say, you know, your brothers and sisters, you must have all this genetic makeup in common that means you're probably going to get on. Actually, you can be quite DNA remote from your sibling. Really? Yes. Or you can be really, really sort of similar in DNA terms. So that to me, I was like, well, oh gosh, that's great. That takes some of the responsibility off us. Get on with your brother or whatever, and off the parents. If your kids don't get on, it's painful. But maybe there's lots of actual scientific reasons why they are just—they're different people, really different people.
1: Catherine, this has been excellent. Really oh, thank interesting. you so much. I, I absolutely <laughs> advise that people go and listen to one or both, indeed, of your podcast.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you, Hannah.
3: You play ball like a girl. Go on, do one, kid. Jenny Off the Blocks. Welcome to Jenny Off the Blocks, that time of the week where we sprint past the patriarchy to the finish line as we discuss all things women's sports. First up, a big congratulations to Team GB who cleaned up at the UCI Track Nations Cup in Adelaide last weekend. Lauren Bell, Sophie Capewell and Emma Finucane beat China to go one up on their world championship result and bag a gold in the team sprint. And in the team pursuit, Katie Archibald, Eleanor Barker, Josie Knight and Anna Morris took home the silver. Meanwhile, Jessica Roberts won a bronze in the women's elimination race. And that was just on the opening day. Archibald and Barker went on to further success with a gold in the women's Madison. And there was another silver for Archibald in the Omnium. And on the final day, Katie Martin also took home a silver in the Kieran. It is nice to go into an Olympic year looking so strong, so we'll be waiting with breath that is baited to see how they fare in the next two rounds in Hong Kong in March and Canada in April. Now, in less positive news for British cycling, you may remember that the women's tour was last year cancelled after its organisers, Sweet Spot, were unable to attract enough investment to hold the event, nor were they able to crowdfund it. The company, which owed huge amounts of money, was liquidated back in January, leaving something of a dilemma regarding the women's tour. The good news is that British Cycling have now taken responsibility for holding the race, hoping, they say, to build momentum and credibility. But the bad news is that the governing body says it faces a race against time to save the event and that there could be, and I quote, duration compromises, according to the chief exec, John Dutton. Now, I think that is a curiously fancy way of saying that the event might be shortened in order to allow it to go ahead at all. He added that he didn't think there would be six stages in this edition and that the organisers were instead focusing on quality rather than quantity. Okay. I think, as ever, let's not make perfect the enemy of good, but let's also not be grateful for the scraps, yeah? I mean, I note that it's not suggested that the men's tour should be shortened from its traditional eight stages to in any way accommodate or facilitate a longer women's tour. Yes, the men's tour is more commercially successful, it's more popular, etc. My counter to that would be that the women's tour can't be commercially successful if it doesn't exist. This is part of a bigger problem in the UK and the men's races are also at risk. We, you know, let's not shy away from that. The Tour de Yorkshire, which began after the county hosted the uh, Tour de France's Grand Depart back in 2014, that doesn't exist anymore. Costs associated with these events, in particular of policing them, are extremely high. But I think what really stings about this one is that women's cycling was such a huge success story after the 2012 Olympics. There were massive numbers of women taking up the sport and we have such a breadth of talent in this country. This was also an event, this one in particular, where the prize money was equal across the men's and women's events, which is rare, as you know. Maybe there's something in that. Don't run before you can walk or, indeed, you know, take your stabilisers off too early. Maybe this is a lesson that women's football can teach us when it comes to sustainability. But I also think, you know, we we can't wait for the world to catch up. Sometimes you've just got to get shit done. I don't have the answers, but I hope that the event will go ahead. hope it will be successful and maybe a bit of success at the Olympics this year could help fuel another kind of burst of activity. We shall see. That's all for me this week, and I'll be back next time with more women's sport.
0: Welcome to Rated or Dated. Hannah, what film that we watched this week once more raises the question, can Ethan Hawke actually grow facial hair?
1: (laughs) (laughs) This week we watched 1994's Reality Bites, Ben Stiller's directorial debut which was written by Helen Childress based on her own experiences as a young adult and those of her friends. It made 41 million dollars at the box office and is regarded by most as a cult film although I think this might be the first time any film described as having cult status hasn't previously been watched by any of us or indeed any of the friends I asked this week all of whom (laughs) are Generation X's. i tell you who did see it A film financier called Troy Dyer, which is the name of Ethan Hawke's character in the film, Dyer sued Childress, Stiller and producer Danny DeVito after Childress stated on audio commentary tracks that she wrote the story based on her actual college friends and roommates and that he was then forced to deal with past and potential clients' inquiries as to whether he was the fictional character. The suit was settled after Dyer received a written document from Childress stating that he was not the person portrayed in the film. And I think that might give you an indication of what Troy Dyer, the character, is like, that people (laughs) actually went to court to prove that it wasn't them. What, the hero of our story, Hannah? (laughs) Let's have a little trot through the plot. Lelena, Lelena, fucking hell, why have they always got stupid names? Lelena, played by Winona Ryder, is a 23-year-old former valedictorian who's working as a production assistant for a horrible TV presenter, played with gusto by the wonderful John Mahoney. My heart. She dreams of becoming a documentarian and the film is framed around a film she's making about her friends and the hardship of being a young person nowadays. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah missed out the word terrible, didn't she, when she was describing that. (laughs) She lives in a flat with her friend Vicky, played by friend of the show Janine Garuffalo, who is working in Gap and sleeping with half of Houston, leading her to worry that she may have contracted AIDS. Vicky invites Troy, a feckless Ethan Hawke type, played by Ethan Hawke, <laughs> to sleep on the sofa after he loses yet another job for being a feckless Ethan Hawke type. He brings <laughs> his guitar. Shudders. Oh, get oh, out. Lelena and Troy want to fuck, which they demonstrate by arguing constantly. Also in the mix is Sammy, a gay man struggling to come out to his parents, played by Steve Zan. Sammy and Vicky are the most interesting characters and inexplicably get the least screen time. Agreed. The will-they-won't-they, Lelena and Troy dynamic is complicated when she, in genuinely one of the most poorly contrived and executed plot developments I've ever seen <laughs> in a film, has a car crash with TV exec Michael Greats, yes he does, played oh. by Ben Stiller. Will our heroine pick Troy or Michael? Will Vicky be punished for her lifestyle? Will anyone remember Steve Zahn is in this film? Will anyone club Troy to death with his own guitar? Let's find out. So, I have a question for you lads, and it's one a few people seem to have had a go at answering. What is this film? <laughs> Empire called it a sweet rom-com. The New York Times thought it was satirical, and Roger Ebert seemed to find it all quite cynical, saying the film showed that, quote... Anyone who shoots documentary video footage of Friends is a genius. Anyone who is pushing 30 and has a good job has sold out. And anyone who is simultaneously unemployed and hostile is a reservoir of truth. Don't always agree with him, but I feel like he's hit onto something there. <laughs> I feel there.
0: like Ebert has like <laughs> nailed my thoughts there,
3: for sure.
1: Mickey, Jen, have a go at the question. What is this film?
3: This isn't really an answer, Hannah, but it's more of a reflection what are the people who aren't millennials who are even younger than millennials? That's us, Gen What are they? No, even younger, that's Gen Z. Oh, Gen Z, Gen Z. Right, so if a bunch of Gen Zers made that documentary, can you imagine how much we'd be laughing and saying what self-indulgent little twats they were? Yeah. That's it, that's, that's all I've got to say. I think, I think Jen just film.
0: helped me with the answer to your question. <laughs> what is this film? What is this film? is it self-indulgent twats? unnecessary
1: but also yeah.
0: uh, a, a pseudo documentary about some self-indulgent little twats
1: yeah I mean I agree and I agree with what you said Jed it's like the equivalent of lab, the Labby Sithri song I don't know what's happened to the kids today in the that song was written in the 70s I mean Christ knows what he'd make of the kids today yeah you know what yeah. I mean it shows that the dynamic never changes People always moan about younger people and younger people always moan about older people. It's just the technology around it has changed.
0: This film is confusing as well because they're all arseholes. And I will obviously, even Mm. Michael fits into that a little bit, Ben Stiller's character, Michael Greats. But he is the best of the bunch and he's supposed to be the one we hate most. But they're all entitled little pricks. She's valedictorian. She loses the last page of a speech. Can't even think of anything interesting to say. She's yeah. rubbish. This film that she's making is shit. It's oh, so bad. It's terrible. The sound bites are so cringy. Is that how Steve's son Sammy wants to come out to his mum and dad? I don't think so. I don't think he wants them to see it on No Mad Face Twenty Four or whatever the channel is called.
1: But that said, that is what Winona Ryder did. That was kind of her. Her schtick. She's so one note, isn't she? Ethan Hawke's quite one note too.
3: Yeah, but I was just like, this is exactly the same as, say, so another Winona Ryder film, which I love, which I keep thinking, I wonder when that's going to come round. Um, and also, I wonder how much I would love it if I watched it now. But Mermaid, Mermaids, like, right, she we plays that Mermaid. character exactly the same as she plays the girl in Mermaids. She's like, she's just so. The same, and I was just like, Oh, god, fuck off.
1: She is a really interesting character because. Is she? Winona Ryder. I mean, Winona Ryder. Oh, right, okay, fine. Yeah, no, I'll I'll take that. Because she is one of those people that makes me wonder did I imbibe a media. Yeah narrative about her because obviously there was the shoplifting incident but also there was like the Johnny Depp stuff and the Mm -hmm. Ryan Adams like wrote uh, that one of his albums is dedicated to her and it says to Winona you you damn woman or something like that yeah there was very much a narrative that she was but interestingly Stiller apparently sacked Janine Garofalo and Winona Ryder got her back yeah she obviously had power
3: I guess she was a bit like Johnny Depp in this respect in that he actively pursued roles that did not just cast him as like the pretty guy he sort of actively like went out of his way to not be typecast and I feel like she kind of has done the same thing as well because a lot of her roles around this time were a lot more like indie stuff yeah than kind of mainstream stuff but she was super super famous at the time she would have been like I guess one of the most in-demand actresses of her generation you know she was a massive star until the shoplifting thing wasn't she and then she sort of went away
0: I think her roles can be best described as not like the other girls kooky yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah Yeah. yeah. But deliberately quirky. And starting off with Beetlejuice, which is a film that I still mm. really like and I like her in it, but it feels like she's just stayed at, at that level. Yeah. And it's just insufferable that just the entitlement. Oh, we don't want to work eighty hours and buy a BMW. I was like okay. Uh, she's
1: so horrible when she says she won't work in Gap. Yeah. And that when yeah, when her friend yeah. actually offers her a job and she won't mm. work in so Gap. Snobbish. I mean she is really really snobbish there. And she just basically pushes off the debt onto her dad. She's like, hey, I'll just live off my dad's credit card. She
3: steals off her dad, is what she does. Yeah, that's true. And she runs up those phone bills and you're just like, you are just a fucking nightmare flatmate. Like, you're awful. This would be horrendous. When she says that to Vicky, and Vicky's, you know, understandably quite offended, and she's just like, oh, what's your problem? It's like, really? Really? Yeah,
0: Yeah. no self-awareness at all. And what I will say is again, because he is supposed to be the villain. I think we are very much supposed to relate to Ethan Hawke, Winona Ryder, Janelle and Steve Zahn, mm. but Ben Stiller's character again—it's—he's not like he's not very three-dimensional in any way. But when he realises it's fucked up, the reason I hate him so much is because he—he he thinks she's got talent, and that's just ridiculous. But. When he's like, she's very upset with what they've done to her film, he goes and sorts out a meeting for her to come and talk and have her film made the way she wants it, and she fucks him off.
3: I don't understand how he's a villain. Is he meant to be a villain? I think we're
0: supposed to be rooting for Troy, aren't we? Like, with the shipping, Troy, yeah, and he's. The capitalist man, yeah, he's sold out. He's a yuppie, which is the worst thing you can be. Just apparently. a nice bloke. He just seems like a nice guy. Just doesn't? a nice
3: bloke with a good yeah. job. Yeah. Like, what's wrong well, with that? Well, he wears and... a suit,
0: Jen. How dare he?
3: But Troy's an absolute. He belle. just nags all the time. He's horrible <laughs> to it. It's almost like Richard yeah.
0: Curtis wrote this love story.
1: <laughs> One of the uh, critics at the New York Times pointed out something which was quite interesting. Uh, he said that it was both trying to be counter counter counterculture but actually like pushing loads of buttons that hollywood like goes for do you know what i mean so it's both very commercial Mm. itself and trying Mm. to be counterculture and actually what really struck me is that there's a u2 song on the uh, soundtrack (laughs) that is like the least counterculture i think anyone has has ever been and yet there it is agreed
0: and also there's like a lot of product product placement with the the big slurp or whatever it's called clearly didn't go in but i'm not Mm. american they have a full-on conversation about how great this product is while holding them close to the camera. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it is interesting that that this is undoubtedly a cult film, but yeah, it doesn't appear to be over here. I wonder if it it speaks to something that's specifically American and just it just didn't speak to British audiences. It's that's really
0: a
3: cult film and not just a cunt film. Have you not misheard? Because mm. I don't really understand that because it's not like. As you said before, Hannah, like the older generation will always think the young, younger generation are twats, right? Yeah. And it's not like, I understand that was a specific point in time there was stuff going on then, like the HIV stuff, for example, A bit would have been like a bit of a hangover from the 80s, the recession at the time and blah, blah, blah. Oh, no, I, I
1: mean, all... AIDS was still a big deal in the early 90s, Jen. Okay, s- sorry, you, our resident AIDS <laughs> expert,
3: Hannah Dunleavy, correct me, of course. So I understand there were a few specific points in this that won't necessarily be relevant forever, but, like, most of that shit is timeless in a way, in that, like, young people... Don't have a lot of money and they have to make some decisions about their life, and sometimes those decisions are a bit hard. And sometimes you might, especially if you're someone involved in creative pursuits, you might have to decide, like, am I gonna go and do some corporate dog shit for a bit to pay my rent or whatever? So, those kind of themes they're quite universal in a lot of ways. A lot of people have those problems. So, why they are such unsympathetic characters (laughs) is kind of like a bit of a mystery because. I feel very much like that's not really any different to how my life was in my 20s. And I'm sure, well, apart from like my dad giving me a BMW and that side of things. But I feel like those issues would have been relevant to me. And yet I feel absolutely fuck all sympathy for any of them because they're all twats.
1: <laughs> I think that's interesting in the, the question of has it dated? Because I think, I mean, it undoubtedly has dated because that, there's a line in it where... um John Mahoney says to her something like I could just sack you and get an intern to do it for free and that actually is what happens now yeah totally you know I mean? yeah. the idea that anyone would have been paid to be doing her job so actually I think that a young person watching it now will get nothing from this other than what the fuck were you moaning about life looked brilliant yeah, yeah undoubtedly, people in their
3: 20s now are considerably worse off than people in their 20s, you know, 30 years ago. So, yeah, absolutely. But in some respects, I think people in their 20s now, maybe they could maybe if you're 20, maybe that's the point. If you're 20, you can overlook the fact that these people are twats because you're a twat as well, because hopefully age makes you less of a twat. I don't know. Doesn't always work that way.
1: Equally, what she's doing is what all young people are doing now, which is documenting yeah. their lives because they think they're putting really content out there she'd just be on TikTok now wouldn't she
3: well that is interesting isn't it because when you're watching as you said before is that how Steve Zahn wants to come out to his parents like when you're watching this, like, awful thing that's been put together, you're thinking, like, oh, man, are you really putting that in the public domain? That's <laughs> that's excruciating. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> humiliating. Like, that's awful. Yeah, but then that's
1: exactly what people are doing all the yeah. time yeah. now,
3: as you say, Hannah. So it's kind of like, it's quite relevant. They're just awful. Yeah.
1: I just want to make one point, which is apparently the, the title is misunderstood quite commonly. And I think maybe that that kind of sums up for how maybe I am just misunderstanding this film. Perhaps I should have watched it at the time, but she said that like the word "sound bites" had become quite. It must in the early nineties had been, been started to be used a lot in conversation, and she Childress she had this idea that reality bites were like short chunks of reality, as opposed to what everybody read it as, which was like, reality bites. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, surely it could have been a clever double play. Quite. because when it does get made for in your face t v they do it more as like snapshots like sound bites but for telly like and they call it yeah. reality bites that's where the title is in the film is the title of the in your face docu shorts that fuck up what she thinks is her masterpiece and actually I feel is better than anything she's filmed. I feel like they make it better. I think they could have done something with it. It feels like there could have been with everything you and Jen had discussed about. The touch points it covers aids the recession, the transition between being a kid and having to go out into mm. the real world. It feels like it could have been an interesting film, and they've just mm. booked it by focusing on a romance and sidelining the characters yeah. who are interesting and are actually dealing with bigger problems than Troy and La 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 La
3: Lena. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that is a very good point because you're absolutely right they've turned it into they turn it into like the the main plot is this romance between these two totally unlikable who people. should not be so together that, i don't i don't care if you get together it's it's of no actually maybe they
0: should be together because it saves two other people from having to be in a relationship with either oh of yeah them.
1: why make four people yeah people? absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah true i'm gonna end with the question i promised which generation x character are you did any of this any of them speak to you
0: I mean, this isn't how I wanted to come out to my parents, but no,
3: um, no, scratch it.
1: Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. No. No, I mean, I suppose I could see bits of. I never got sacked for stealing a Snickers.
0: I made terrible decisions relationship wise, I guess, but that went well into my 30s. So I don't know that it's just about oh, being yeah. 20. <laughs> Still making it.
1: I uh, squandered (laughs) a lot of young promise, smoked a lot of weed, and slept with a lot of people. So I think there was a bit of me in all of them. If I'm honest, I was going to say, "How
0: are you? A growing facial hair? You
1: might be the new Ethan Hawke." Oh my God, way better than my gender. (laughs) Gender should allow, if I'm honest. Rated or dated?
2: dated? Dated.
3: I. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think it's that dated, because I think, for the reasons that I've said, uh, I, I think a lot of that stuff is still very relevant, but I think it's shit.
1: <laughs> okay, so one dated, one not rated, and, uh, yeah, I agree with Mickey. I think it's dated. What are we watching next week?
3: Well, lads, we're stepping back further in time to 1984 next oh, week. Oh, it going to be And Footless? we are watching, <laughs> we're watching
1: Footless. Hey! I so nearly picked it myself.
0: Six degrees of separation questions heading your way.
2: Standard issue for all women.